let's talk about the, uh, the crazy train for a minute. I'm going to introduce you to a concept in the book, Love and Respect, which kind of sets the backdrop for what we're talking about through this message series, a concept called the crazy cycle. Now, if you're married, you've experienced this. If you're in a close relationship, you've experienced this, even if you're not married. It's the craziness that happens as arguments and conflict begins to get a life of its own and cycles around each other so that rather than an awkward conversation coming to a quick and healthy, affirming conclusion, it spirals out of control. You're used to that cycle, and maybe you've experienced, maybe you have heard this before. If not, I think you'll find it illuminating. But before we do that, I think it's important for us to kind of come back to center and remember what we're talking about. We're talking about love, intimacy, sex, and relationships. And God has ordained one primary relationship on earth to be the quintessential, ultimate experience in intimacy, connection, closeness, relationship. And that's the marriage relationship. The marriage relationship. In fact, the reason God gave us the gift of marriage is, is he wanted us on earth to have a very tangible, understandable experience of the kind of love and commitment he has towards us. And that's why the Bible uses the metaphor of Jesus being the bridegroom and the church, those of us who are followers of Jesus, being the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. And that marriage metaphor illustrates the relationship of closeness and intimacy that our Heavenly Father, through Jesus, has with His people. And it's hard to understand those kind of esoteric and ethereal ideas. So God gave us the gift of marriage here on earth so that in healthy marriages, not all marriages, in healthy marriages, we could see the kind of loving relationship, security, and value that exists in God's mind as he thinks about us. And so that's why when you read the Bible, there's a lot of language that overlaps the church and Jesus and husband and wife. And Jesus spoke about marriage. By the way, there's this idea that Jesus didn't speak about marriage. He did. In fact, I want to take you to that passage right now in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4 through 6. Jesus was having a conversation, and you never know if Jesus is simply having a conversation to teach somebody something or in direct response to some accusation being leveled against him. Is it a healthy conversation, or is it a conversation that he's trying to avoid or engage conflict? You don't know always. In this particular case, Jesus is trying to do both. He's trying to deal with some conflict and bring clarity to an issue. And out of that environment, he says this in Matthew chapter 19. Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, a male man and a female wife, and the two will become one flesh. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. There's this idea that Jesus never spoke about marriage. I've heard that. I've seen that on Facebook. But of course he did. It's right here. I'm not making it up. You can look and he indicated that a man and a woman would come together and be husband and wife. And when they do that, they wouldn't just be in a union. They would literally become one entity, one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. These are Jesus' own words in Matthew in the New Testament, drawing all the way back several thousand years of history to Genesis chapter Three, for God made a man and a woman and put them together in the garden. 
and said that it's not good to be alone. And he did that as a gift again to remind us of the kind of special and intimate value-based relationship that he has, the Father has, towards us. And we get to see that lived out in marriages. That's why, that's why God in the Bible places high value on healthy marriages. That's why God wants you, if you're married, to have a good and healthy marriage. That's why your efforts towards having a good, healthy marriage is one of the most spiritual things you can do. Because marriages are very important to God. So the Apostle Paul, who lived after Jesus had come to this earth and gave his life and was resurrected from the dead, the Apostle Paul, in writing to various churches about what it means to live out the teachings of Jesus, often dips in to the marriage subject. He's trying to illustrate what does it mean to truly be a follower of Jesus. And one of the best places to go to understand God's heart for husbands and wives is Ephesians chapter 5. And now in just a moment, I'm going to take you to one verse of Ephesians 5, but I want to set you up for this verse as we start thinking about the crazy cycle. Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is trying to help the church at Ephesus, that's why it's called Ephesians, understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how to treat each other, how to understand the role of leadership in a church, what's the purpose of that, what's the purpose of coming together in a group called the church and worshiping God, how do we relate to people outside of the church, how do we relate to people inside of the church, and the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, before I get to our verse for our conversation, I just want to set you up. He writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, right here, reading from my Bible, it won't be on the screen. He says these phrase, this phrase, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul introduces this idea as he's talking about how do people inside the church get together. He starts that conversation by saying this phrase, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word submit was a power-packed, loaded word back in Paul's day, and it still is today. And when he gives the phrase, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, in other words, you have reverence for Christ, so bring reverential treatment to everybody else. Submit to one another. You revere Christ, you recognize he's up here and we're down here, so if that's true, Revere other people as if they're up here and you're down here. Now, not in the sense that they have greater value, but in the tone and attitude with which you engage them. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's talking in general just about people, Christians. But his next few sentences, he dips deep into the pool of the marriage discussion. With that heading, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ... Paul starts talking about what that's going to look like in a healthy marriage. If you come with an attitude of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, Paul now is going to unpack what does that mean in a God-oriented, healthy, life-giving marriage. And so there's a few phrases that pop up. He, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. His next sentence is, as if he's saying, Hey, ladies, in case you missed it, I just told everybody to submit to one another, but ladies, in case you missed it, he says, his very next verse, wives, submit to your husbands. He's just said submit to everybody, 
Everybody, submit to everybody. Treat each other with reverential respect. And then his next line, he says, ladies, I'm talking to you now, so here's the group, men, women, ladies, submit to your husbands. Then he unpacks that a little bit. Submit to them. Understand that there's a head of the church and there's a head of the family. Doesn't mean it's better or worse. It's a functional arrangement. We challenge you from this stage regularly, ladies and men, to work through the fact that Jesus says, and the Bible indicates, that in every time it speaks to the woman about her role in the marriage, that the words submit, respect, honor are used. It's as if the Apostle Paul is trying to say here, this is going to be hard for you to do. So I want to remind you. And just like Jesus in his words in Matthew echoed back to Genesis, Paul now is echoing back to Genesis. At that moment, when God says to Eve after she has eaten the fruit and sinned and introduced a whole world of hurt to the world, he says to her, and you're going to want to rule over your husband. That's what he says to Eve. You're going to want to rule over your husband. Eve, you can't do that. So Paul picks up and says, everyone submit to one another. Wives submit to husbands. Husbands submit to wives. Everyone submit to one another. And then remember, ladies, you got to submit to your husbands. And then he turns to men, ladies. Men, men, you have to love your wives. You want to have a God-honoring, healthy, life-giving marriage, and you're a follower of Jesus. You got to love your wives. What kind of love? The kind of love that was self-sacrificing and giving. That pursued before there was even a relationship. The kind of love Jesus demonstrated for the church. That's the kind of love, men. Good luck trying to live up with that, by the way. I mean, that's a high standard. But there we are. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then branch down. Ladies, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. It's as if Paul was saying to men, men, this is going to be hard because you're going to be selfish. You're going to be self-oriented. And if you do that, the goal of a healthy, godly, life-giving marriage is not going to be obtained. So men, you got to love just like God loves us. When she's unlovable, when she's not lovely, you got to love and ladies, it's going to be hard because there's something about the fallen nature of humanity that impacts a wife this way. She wants to rule over her husband. And Paul says, you can't do that. You're going to want to. You're going to have to hold that at bay. And now here's our verse. So he concludes that whole section, beginning with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Sometimes when I'm in the car with my kids, we'll play a game. The uh, would you rather game. You guys ever do this? Would you rather? So like, for instance, would you rather have a zombie apocalypse or go through World War III? No right or wrong. It's kind of two bad options. Would you rather talk like Yoda or breathe like Darth Vader? Would you rather be half your height or double your weight? Think about that for a second. You get the idea. There's a few of these would you rathers in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 17, not on your screen, but it says, 
A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is better than steak with someone you hate. Would you rather eat a poor meal but enjoy your company or be having the greatest, most grand meal of all time with somebody you can't stand? Let's look right there in your Bible. Would you rather? Now, the reason I want to talk about would you rather, we are given in marriage a pretty stark would you rather scenario. And the words love and respect indicated for us in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, husbands must love, command, must love your wives, and wives must respect, command, her husband, not somebody else's husband, by the way, but her own. We're given a pretty stark reality on the order of a, a would you rather. Here's the choice. Would you rather... Get your way and what you want or have a happy, life-giving, godly marriage. There's a fundamental choice that has to be made if we're going to follow God's design for marriage where we put self second and our spouse first. According to the Bible, it seems to indicate that men are going to want to put self first and they have to remember that their love looks like putting her first. And according to the Bible, it seems to indicate at least that women are going to try to put themselves first by ruling over their husband, and they're going to have to remember to put him first. It's both and, not either or. And what breaks my heart as a pastor, one of the things, is the way that our culture has commandeered this clear indicator in Scripture of what it takes to have a healthy, godly, life-giving marriage. We've come and endeared it in our culture so that it appears that when we say to men, love your wives as Christ loved your church, everybody goes, check, that's what I want. But when we say in women, you've got you to gotta avoid the curse of Eve, which will make you want to rule over your husband. We go, I'm not sure that that's true. It almost feels like we're speaking down to the ladies. So let me give you just a little practical, practical advice. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I believe, reveals a secret, kind of not hidden wisdom in the Gnostic sense, but a secret for what makes marriages be life-giving. That in general, women want love, and in general, men want respect. That doesn't mean women don't want respect. Of course they do. It doesn't mean that men don't want love. Of course they do. It's both and. But there's been all kinds of research about this, all kinds of research done asking men, at the end of the day, which would you rather have? Would you rather have, at a rate of, by the way, 74% men said that they would rather feel alone and unloved than to feel disrespected and inadequate in their marriage. They would rather feel alone and unloved than feel disrespected and inadequate in their marriage. And conversely, in the same kind of research, women at a rate of 60% said they would rather feel inadequate and disrespected than to feel alone or unloved. Would you rather be disrespected or alone and unloved? Men said, I'd rather be alone and unloved, and I'd choose respect. And women said, I'd rather be disrespected and choose to be in a companionship, loving relationship. That's just like... Social science studies. 
I think that those studies are illustrating the point that Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33 is trying to make, that there's something powerful when a man loves his wife and a wife respects her husband. And there's something draining that happens when there isn't love given from a husband to a wife, and something draining happens when a wife doesn't give respect to her husband. In fact, when those things happen, you can see the spirit of your spouse deflate because it's like you're stepping on an air hose. You know what an air hose is? Like, I'm, I'm a tools guy, so I have an air compressor at home. And um, when it's turned on, there's a supply of hose. There's a, pre- there's a pressure supply of air through a pressurized hose. And at the end of that hose, there's a tool, there's a blower, there's a tire inflator, there's some kind of a device. But when the hose is kinked, the device at the end of the hose doesn't work. And that's one way to understand an air hose. Another way to understand it is, imagine somebody in the hospital and they have an oxygen mask. Without it, they can't breathe. When a wife doesn't experience the love she craves, needs, wants, the godly thing that she desires, it's like the air hose gets crimped. When the husband doesn't experience respect, it's like the air hose gets crimped. And the tools don't operate. The life-giving oxygen isn't present. And what happens too often in a marriage, when there isn't love or respect, whatever the issues are, aren't really the issue. The issues are no longer the issues. You think you're fighting about finances, but the truth is that's a pretty simple dialogue. You either have money or you don't, but you're not really fighting about money alone. You're fighting about whether she feels loved and secure in the, in the conversation and whether or not he feels respected in the conversation. You thought you were fighting about the frequency of your intimacy, but you're not just fighting about that. There's a layer that doesn't get observed. Somebody's stepping on the air hose, and so in the conversation about intimacy, he's feeling disrespected and not valued, and she's feeling unloved and not secure. You thought you were arguing about parenting issues, the thing with your kid, But as the thing unfolded, he felt disrespected in his role, and she felt like he didn't treat her with loving concern. And so the issues we're fighting about aren't just the issues we're fighting about. Often what's really happening is a crazy cycle is beginning to unfold. In fact, I think I might have a picture of the crazy cycle. You want to throw it up here for me, guys? Here's the crazy cycle. Let's start at the top. You can start anywhere. But where there isn't love present, the wife typically, and I can go either way. Don't get hung up on gender here. Where there isn't love present, she begins to react. And guess how she begins to react? Without respect in her responses. And so when he doesn't get respect in the responses, guess how he reacts? Without love. And of course, guess how she reacts when there isn't love? Without respect. And over and over, think through, if you're married, think through the last couple arguments you had. I don't mean about whether you were going to go to McDonald's or Burger King, right? But the argument you had that you've had a half a dozen times in the last five years, Jill and I have discovered we only argue about five issues, and the day she realizes I'm right, honest to God, our marriage is going to be better. Of course not, right? We have the same arguments, slightly different Scenarios with the same, over and over. 
And at the core of them are the issues that often need dealt with, like what are we going to do with money? What are we going to do with that parenting situation? What is the goal of our intimacy? What are we really working towards? But layered over all of that is her need for love and security and my need to be respected and honored. She has those needs too. That's why the conversation begins with Paul, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But as we've drilled down the sociological study I referred to where men said I would rather be alone than disrespected and women said I'd rather be disrespected than alone, that's true in our marriage. When Jill speaks to me, if I can perceive whether she means it or not, if I pick up on whether she's sending it or not, the fact that I think maybe she's not listening to me, respecting my opinion, it makes it very difficult to, for me to come to the subject with loving care for what she has to say. So we're no longer fighting about money or sex or parenting or some calendar issue. Now we're fighting because our basic needs and hopes in our marriage aren't being met. And then when I come out of the gate with that feeling of disrespect, my words don't drip with the love I genuinely have for her, which creates a vacuum, the air hose is stepped on, and she then tends to respond with a lack of respect. Now in the Christian world, the problem is, is made worse, it's exacerbated because we say unconditional love, but we don't hold to a value of unconditional respect in marriage. Love should be unconditional, but respect is earned. And there's some validity to that. But, but in a healthy, life-giving, godly marriage, we're called to love unconditionally within a certain set of boundaries that allows for uh, dealing with abuse and perpetual problems. Of course, there's some ish in that. But we're also called to unconditional respect. It's a command. Wives respect your husbands from day one before he's had a chance to earn it. Husbands, love your wives even when she's not acting lovely. And by the way, people are divorcing for this kind of stuff all the time. It's just a simple money discussion, but it's not, is it? It's just a simple discussion about sex and intimacy and how frequent we're doing it or not doing it. And so the crazy cycle churns. Now the natural tendency when you find yourself in a crazy cycle is to wait for the other person to take the first step. That's our natural tendency. The situations change, the cycle goes round and round, and because a wife needs love and a husband then would be wise to assume that his wife's negative reaction is rooted in her feelings of being unloved, but that's not really what happens. She feels unloved, responds with lack of respect, he responds with a lack of love, crazy cycle turns. But we could begin to stop it if instead of waiting for the other person to take the first step, we would submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, we'd put the brakes on the crazy cycle by saying it could be that perhaps her lack of respectful response to my words to this situation is simply because she feels unloved. And because a husband needs respect, a wife would be wise and prudent to assume that her husband's negative reaction 
It's probably rooted to his feeling disrespected. So as the crazy train, the crazy train is gaining momentum, she could put the brakes on by saying, perhaps his unloving responses to me have a genesis in his feeling disrespected. And so it comes down to who goes first. Who starts applying the brakes on the crazy train first? But before I answer that question, let me make something clear. Avoidance is how the crazy train keeps churning. We don't acknowledge these things in us. And we do have a natural tendency to wait for the other person to take the initiative to resolve the conflict. So, who's going to move first on this? Well, that's going to take courage. To confess truthfully that I was wrong takes courage... And the truth is, many marriages are suffering for a lack of courage, boldness, a lack of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you want to resolve a conflict, and move towards healthy, life-giving, godly marriage, you probably need to make the first move. Courage and humility. You can't wait on your spouse. Here's the truth. The most mature one has to go first. Now that question, that stipulation is worded that way on purpose. Who's the more mature one in your relationship? You or your wife? You or your husband? You don't have to look to them to answer that. In your own heart, who is it? Well, that person has to go first. Most of us think we are. In whatever fight you're having, you think you're right or you wouldn't be fighting. And she thinks she's right or you wouldn't be fighting. You think you're a little smarter, wiser, insightful, knowledgeable. Perhaps from the negative perspective, you've been hurt before and you're just tired of it and this time you're going to get your way. But to some degree, you have the upper hand morally, intellectually, emotionally, or you wouldn't be fighting. So the more mature one goes first and says, I'm going to put the brakes on the crazy train. And that's hard to do. It's hard as a man to put the brakes on the crazy train and start responding in love when you feel like what's being mirrored to you is a lack of respect. But that is what mature people do. I'd love to tell you I've been mature my entire marriage. I haven't been. I've only been mature for about 40 minutes now. Because in the middle of the fight, I respond as if somebody's stepping on my air hose. And there's no oxygen fueling my muscles and my brain to do the right thing. The most mature person has to do this. Here's five things we can do to step up, be courageous and humble, walk in our humility. Here's a handful of things I'd like to offer for you. I think you can pray together. My uh, love and respect small group, one of the things that we're practicing on with the 20-somethings that are meeting in there, the kind of pre-married and just married couples that are meeting in my house and we're talking through this stuff, is we're committing that we're, by the time we're done with our study together, we're going to be all more comfortable praying with our spouse. I'm just telling you, friends, you can ignore me on this, many of you will, but it's very difficult for me to have hurt and angry feelings at my wife when I'm standing with her, holding her hand, and I'm praying with her, and I'm asking God to bless her, to help her, 
to help me be humble and loving, to give me courage to face my own part of this dynamic. I'm telling you, after about two minutes of that, no matter what we were fighting about, we have moved very far towards reconciliation and regaining the love and respect, the mutual submission that Paul and God calls us to. Praying together with your spouse is incredibly powerful. It's not a secret pill. It's not like a magic step, but it's powerful because when you pray, you're inviting God's truth to speak into the situation. It could be that one of the reasons you keep fighting so much about the same issue is you really haven't asked God in a tangible way to speak to either of you. And I've never felt more respected and cherished and honored as a husband than in the mornings when my wife literally grabs my hand and takes about 45 seconds to pray for me outside of the fight. And she almost always says something like this, and I never get tired of hearing it. God, be with my husband. Help him to lead our church. Help him to lead our marriage. Help him to lead our family well. Give him insight and wisdom and boldness to do the things you've put in front of him. Every day for the rest of my life, I will welcome that prayer. And when I say to my wife, pray for me, whatever I'm going through, and she rallies right in the middle of my situation, my heart melts in her presence, and there's great receptivity. Ladies, your husband might not want to pray with you only in part because he feels like he has to achieve some level of performance when he does. Say the right words, create the right environment. So maybe, ladies, you, you can help with this. by just, hey, can we pray? Grab his hand and just pray a prayer over him. And men, let me just ask you to put your performance anxieties on the shelf and go ahead and have some awkward-sounding prayers that last 30 seconds or less. But pray for your wife. Use your own words to talk to God and ask God to be with her. Praying together. It's a powerful tool to begin stopping the crazy train and bringing health, godliness, and life-giving energy to your marriage. Here's the second thing we can do. I think we can, if we're bold and not afraid, we can ask for feedback often. Like, they sound like this. How are you enjoying the way I'm loving you these days? That would be a good conversation over lunch today. How are you enjoying the way I'm loving you these days? Men, say that to your wives. Or ladies, how are you enjoying the respecting I'm bringing to you these days? Not last year, not when we got married, but like in the last 30 days. And then you just quiet down and let that person answer you fully. And we don't throw up the defense mechanisms. We don't feel dis honored or we don't feel unloved in the conversation because we ask the question and then that honest feedback is welcomed. I don't want to make a bigger deal about this than it is, but it could be that you're one or two honest conversations away from where you are in your marriage today, one or two honest conversations away of moving towards godly, healthy, life-giving marriages. Are you enjoying the way I'm loving you these days? Are you enjoying the way I'm respecting you these days? What a powerful gift you give your spouse the freedom to speak out into the very thing he or she wants. 
Here's the third thing. What if we stopped avoiding and instead began to speak up in loving and respectful ways? I have found when I lead out like this, it goes better. Honey, I love you. You're very important to me. And I take time to just get very clear. I want to talk with you about something. I don't want to hurt your feelings. So is this a good time for me to ask you a question about fill in the blanks? We argue a lot less when I do that than when I go, oh my God, you did it again. I cannot believe, we just talked about this last week. We're in the crazy cycle. Now, I'm asking you to not avoid because the other dangerous thing is you don't do anything at all and you keep waiting for your spouse to realize the thing you need so that you can have your experience of a godly, healthy, life-giving marriage. But avoidance is what fuels the crazy train. Loving engagement. And when she says to me, hey, I really want to hear what you have to say in a moment, but first I want to lead out with a question. I want to lead out with a concern I have, and then I really do want to hear what you have to say. Because when my wife says she wants to hear what I have to say, you know what I just heard? She respects me. She honors me. She wants to hear my heart, my thoughts. So stop avoiding. Speak up in loving and respectful ways. Here's another thing we can do. We can make the first move. Let me just, let me just point out the logical fallacy of, of a reality that a lot of us are living in. You want a happier marriage. You want a loving marriage. You want to be respected. You want to be loved. Of course you do. That's why you got married. You didn't get married to fight all the time. And what if the price you had to pay to get there was you had to make the first move instead of waiting on him? Instead of waiting on him? What if the cost to get what you really want was a little humility and courage? You had to choose to be mature in the middle of the crazy cycle. And guard your words, even as your spouse may not be able to guard his or hers. What if the cost really was to take it for the team a little bit so that you can move the team forward? I'm just going to ask you, is, is that a reasonable price to pay? And I, I know what somebody was saying. I, well, I already have done that. I've done it so many times. I've done it so many times. I got it. I got it. But I think for many of us, we're just a few honest, prayerful, humble, and courageous conversations away from a much healthier, much more godly, and much more life-giving marriage. And you can wait on your spouse, or you can say, all right, I have some insight, some knowledge, some wisdom. I'm going to bring mutual submission to the table. I'm going to bring the issue and do my best to package it in a loving way. I'm going to bring the issue and do my best to package it in a respectful way. Here's a fifth thing we can do. I think, I think that we can bring words of encouragement into our homes frequently. One of the most obvious ways to determine whether or not you're going in the right direction or in the wrong direction in your marriage, I'm going to give you an early indicator. In business, we talk about early indicators. So that long before the crisis has occurred, what's the early indicator we're headed there? Here it is in marriage. When the words thank you and please disappear from your relationship, 
You may be fine, but you're probably headed in the wrong direction. When there's a lack of gratitude that is expressed. I didn't say lack of gratitude in your heart. Of course I'm grateful for her. That's awesome. I'm glad you are. Are you expressing it? Of course I understand that living with me requires a little extra effort. I'm glad you understand that. Are you saying please? Are you gentle with your requests? And what is the affirmation climate in the marriage these days? When's the last time you gave a sincere and honest compliment? Words of encouragement in your home frequently change the temperature of your home, and they create an environment where you can begin to put the brakes on the crazy cycle. You're not fighting about money so much as you're fighting about love and respect. There still may be a money issue to deal with, but you'll be able to deal with it much more clearly when she feels loved and he feels respected in the conversation. Your intimacy... The quality and the quantity are likely to go up when she feels fully loved and he feels fully respected. So who's going to go first? You? Or are you going to wait on him? You? Or are you going to wait on her? Let's take out our Connect cards and take a few steps together as a congregation. This is that, th- that tool that Matthew and Lisa spoke to you about on the friend and the message. We're going to move through A, B, C, D, and E and take a few steps. The first step we offer every single week around here is to give people a chance to get into a relationship with Jesus. We word it this way at Next Step A. Today, I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Remember, for all the good hopes you have in your marriage, they echo back to the kind of relationship your Heavenly Father wants with you. Close and intimate and secure. Fully known and yet fully embraced. Not shifting, not changing as circumstances change, but permanent. And he invites you to have that kind of relationship with him through his son, Jesus, who gave his life on a cross and was resurrected from the tomb. I'm asking you, if you'd like to be in a relationship with him like that and you're not, to take your pen and check next step A. Put that card in the offering bucket when it comes by at the end of the service. In just a moment, I'm going to lead out in a prayer and give you a chance to use my words or come up with your own. And say to God, prayerfully, just talk to him. God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I want you to cover my sin. I want to be in a relationship with you. I want you to lead my life. Or how about checking next step B, get baptized. Today I'm choosing to be baptized. So in second service, we're going to baptize a couple folks. You can check this box. We'll communicate with you. Again, put the card in the offering bucket at the end of the service. And we'll communicate with you, answer your questions. I think it's you signed up to be baptized. Our next baptism is going to be on Easter Sunday morning. That's a great time to get baptized, Easter Sunday. All right? Here's the next bold step C. Who would say, I'm going to pray with my spouse, or maybe my spouse-to-be, four times a week between now and Easter? We've got about a 30-day window. And you say, look, we don't do it much, but I'm going to make sure we hit four times a week between now and Easter. If you check that box, I'll shoot you an email remind you what you said and give you some words that Jill and I use that bring life, unkink the air hose as we pray for one another. Here's next step four, or D. I'm going to attend all four weeks of our tongue-pierced message series. That's what we're doing next week, starting for four weeks leading up to Easter. How to use our words to give power and life, controlling our tongues. Remember how we were talking about words of encouragement in the home? Why don't you just go ahead and say, look, we're going to 
increase the temperature of love and affirmation with our words in our home. And if you'll come all four of the next four weeks as we leave up to Easter, I'm going to give you some practical tools how to do that. And here's next step B. Our church is growing. That's why we're doing these advancements and improvements. And who would say, Ben, I'll join with you and the staff and actively set a table of hospitality for the growing 4C family. All I'm asking you to do here is be friendly, have an open seat in your circle of friendship so that as God brings people into our, our church, you're willing to be kind, nice, and get to know them. Check that box, and we'll send you some notes about that this week. Let's pray right now together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you speak life and wisdom. I want to thank you for marriages in this church, God. Not one of them is perfect, including my own. And yet, God, by your Spirit, you call us to godliness, to health, to life-giving marriages. So right now, I pray for men and women who are married and they're hurt, they're frustrated, they're confused, they're broken, they're, some have given up. God, I pray that your spirit would draw them even now to take those steps they need to take. Maybe to pray together. Maybe to speak words of affirmation. Maybe to ask an honest question. Am I loving you enough? Am I respecting you enough? God, I pray for the single folks in this room that even as we've talked about marriage, God, they wouldn't just think about a relationship, but they would think about your love for them and how you are sufficient in their lives. I want to pray for those that are declaring right now, Jesus, be my Savior. Forgive my sin. Become the Lord of my life. And God, I want to pray for all the folks that you bring into this church, that we would love them unconditionally, that this church would be their home, and this congregation would be their spiritual family. We pray it all in the name of Jesus, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.